struggling to cut through the hype around marketing trends, or know what'll make a real difference for your campaigns, dive into The Marketing Architects, a research-first podcast exploring the blueprints for success grounded in marketing, psychology, and economics research. Join discussions on category leadership, brand building, and marketing accountability when you start listening at marketingarchitects.com slash podcast, or search The Marketing Architects wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Kale Guthrie Weissman. This week, I'm really excited. We have Dan Langer. He's the president of Arnco, which is a pretty beloved hair care company. It just launched a new direction. We're going to talk about that. They launched into colors, but I want to get into just the history of R&Co and also how it works within the overall framework of its parent company, which is Luxury Brand Partners. We're going to get into all of that, talk about the business-to-business hair care space. I'm really excited, but Dan, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Kale. Thank you for having me, and hello, everyone who's listening. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, First, let's start with who you are. So I was doing some research. You've been doing retail for, for quite a while now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been at Victoria's Secret and Express, and few other companies, right? Yeah, I started my career always in uh, fashion and beauty and really spent the last 30 years working for some of the best brands in the world. Um, I've been very fortunate and have been very fortunate to help build many of them. So that's uh, that's my background, working in fashion and beauty. Have you always been on the, or like, what was, was your focus on the marketing side of things, the brand building side? What would you say your forte over, you know, the last many years has been? For me, I always love building brands. I think, you know, there's a creative element there, uh, a real sense of pride when something uh, is built from scratch and you see it grow and you see it uh, develop. So for me, there's a huge, uh, just intrinsic reward for creativity and creation. So I've been very fortunate in my career to be able to participate in that a few times as brands go from an idea to being uh, something in the marketplace. Got it. It seems like that is the thesis behind Luxury Brands Group. Am I wrong that you're just kind of trying to, to build things and have them balloon from there? Well, Luxury Brand Partners is an incredible company because it, it's it really is a group of us that have been working together for over two decades and have worked together at multiple brands and have started many brands together. So we we started together at a brand called Bumble and Bumble. Then we all came back together again to start a brand called Orbe. Then we uh, started a brand called Arnco and IGK. And, and LBP really is, I would say, part incubator, part operator. We, we'd love to start brands. We'd love to ideate. Uh, but then we grow those brands and and we we partner with artists so each brand has a unique perspective in the category based on their uh, based on the artist's perspective and work with them in order to bring their dreams to fruition let's talk then about R&Co which is your primary focus correct me if i'm wrong but what is the history of R&Co how did it start and you know you said you've partnered with artists to to make this this aesthetic this branding how how has that all worked Arnco is an incredible hair brand, and it started 10 years ago. We wanted to build a brand that was based on a collective perspective. Up until that point, most brands in the space in the category were based on a singular perspective, a single artist. And we thought, what if we put together the best hairdressers in the world to debate 
and collaborate on what products and education should be. Invariably, you're going to get you know this incredible uh, result because you have the best in class on any category, whether it's the best person for editorial, best person for salons, best person for education, collaborating and debating what product should be like. And that's what we embarked on doing. Uh, and that's what we did. We have a huge collective of the top hairdressers in the world that are influencing their respective fields, working with us to develop products and education. And it's been an incredible 10 years. We really have built something that is embracing the culture of hairdressing and speaks to hairdressers in any part of the industry, whether it is the salon, whether it is uh, editorial, whether it is celebrity, whether it is social media. Um, in part because the brand is created by that community. So that's where it started, and that's continues to evolve. The beautiful thing about a collective, obviously, is that you can always add to it. So while we started off with, you know, uh, you know uh, a few uh, key founders like Garen and Howard McLaren, uh, who were each you know, kind of rock stars in their respective fields, over time you add to it, depending on what the what's going on in the in fashion and beauty at the moment and and I'm proud to say we have uh, we have a group of about 30 different hairdressers that we work with as part of that collective that really help influence everything that we do and again help give that perspective to the products and to the brand and to the line so that way it's always hairdresser first I want to go deeper into that because I think that's really fascinating so a, how do you choose when you're going to add someone new to the collective? Is that just there's a general zeitgeisty professional out there and you think that they would be right? Uh, and then B, what is the actual participation and how, how does that manifest? I don't know if there's necessarily a rule of thumb to how we add to the collective. We're, we're in this fortunate position of having been in the industry for a long time, you know, over three decades, where we know many people in the industry and we're, we're always having conversations and we have friendships. And, uh, and so I think a lot of it is organic depending on, you know, what we're doing or, or who is doing things that are interesting or who has incredible ideas at that moment. So we're always in dialogue and conversations with different hairdressers, mainly because they're our friends and they're part of our own community. So, uh, so I don't think there's necessarily a, a firm strategy on that, unless we're building a new category. So you mentioned in your opening remarks that we just launched Orange Color, which is our professional hair color line. And we wanted to build that out with the same philosophy of our heritage line, Aranco, which was, which was involving a collective so that way every shade in the line could be best in class. So we could have the person who was expert in blondes influencing the blondes, the person who was influencing the reds uh, you know, uh, be the top top in the world in terms of coloring redheads. Uh, a person, you know, who's known for vivids influencing those shades and so on. So we really kind of built this incredible group of hair colorists. Again, blending editorial, celebrity, salon, you know, together. So we had different perspectives because at the end of the day, it has to work in the salon and behind the chair. And uh, and so that was a that was a real treat to build out that team. So when did the first inclination of R and Keller come about? Was it always in the pipeline? Like we're going to expand into color, given that we we work in professional salons. This is a natural extension. Or like how how did that come to be? It came to be because salons really are our heritage for 
that entire three decades that I was telling you about, we've been heavily uh, involved with salons and working with salons. And again, over time, they become partners, friends, confidants. And there's two parts to the salon business often, right? There's the cutting and styling, and then there's the hair color. And we want to be able to provide them with a full complement of products to help them uh, you know, support their business. Uh, so we've been working on hair color for a long time, actually, for over five years, because we want to perfect it. We want to do it in an Aranco way. Historically, hair color has been kind of a secret in salons. Most customers don't know the brand of hair color that's being used on them. And as a result, um, we want to leverage the fact that we had a great stylist awareness, salon awareness, customer awareness, to make our hair color a little bit different. Um, one of the key tenets of it is actually being requested by end consumers. So, uh, you know, so we, we, we started building out this hair color to be best in class, to be the highest performance, but also focus on things that were really important to hair colorists and stylists and salon owners. So when we embarked on the project, the first thing we did was we interviewed hundreds of hair colorists. We asked them point blank, what would their dream line be? And we took all of that feedback and built it into our plan for what color was. And two things that I think are interesting about this line, aside from it being the highest performance uh, line, you know, I think that exists in the marketplace, is that it is focused on stylists and consumer wellness. So all the formulas, as an example, are fragrance-free, vegan, cruelty-free, sulfate-free. So really focusing on that kind of social consciousness and wellness element of of the world and uh, it's extremely important to salon owners and stylists. You know, removing one of the key allergens is an example uh, for someone who's working with a product all day was something we were very proud of. The second part of that was actually focused on sustainability and super proud to say that this line is probably the most sustainable hair color line that exists again in the marketplace. From a packaging perspective, all of the, uh, all of the Products are using PCR, recycled aluminum, recycled papers, um, really kind of focused on the impact of the environment as well uh, as to the salon. So stylists and colors are very cognizant of the amount of product they use and the amount of packaging that they use. You can imagine if you're using, if you're doing 10 heads of hair a day, you're using, uh, you know, quite a few tubes of color. And so we really want to integrate that into the line because it was important to us, it's important to the world, but it was also very important to one of our key constituents, which was stylists and salon owners. So those are two ways kind of that we innovated on this line. Given that you're focused so much on sort of the B2B, the stylist community, stylists have been around for a while. A lot of them, you know, have the products that they've used for years, if not decades. So how do you go about getting getting them to use your product, know your product, and like get, getting that sort of scale in, in the salon community? It's a great question. And color is one of those things that once you've used it for a while, it's very sticky. You, you get to know it, you know your palette, you know how to use it. And stylists and colorists tend to be extremely loyal to the hair color that they use. For us, it is a few, there's a few ways that we, we tackle it. One is education. We have a hugely robust education program that teaches color. It's agnostic to brand. 
you could, you know, it's about technique and it's about uh, formulation and it's about um, understanding kind of trend and fashion. Um, but education is a huge part of it. Um, I think the other part of it is actually innovating in the category. I think people are always open to innovation and things like fragrance-free and sustainability are things that are so top of mind for many of our customers that they actually will consider looking at another line. I think the third part of it is actually having it be fun. Stylists and colorists and saloners, this is a fun industry and people like to have fun. And, you know, and so I think we made something that, you know, not only worked incredibly well, but was a pleasure to use and, you know, it was beautiful to look at and it was high design and really fit into the ethos and the aesthetic of the top salons around the country. So it's, uh, you know, I think there's, there's a few, uh, few ways that we interact with salons. Um, but, uh, but I think it really focuses again on, on those elements and not to mention it again, but high performance. If the product doesn't work, uh, it's not going to be uh, taken in by a salon. It's not going to have longevity. So that was that was something that we obsessed over, was making sure that it worked. And again, it really comes back to the best performing products. If the product doesn't work, it's not going to have longevity in a salon. And circling back to our discussion about the collective, a big part of that was bringing in these shade experts in their respective category and helping and working with them to help influence those shades so that way they were perfect and they were of the moment and they were on trend and they were something that was worthy of that person you walk down the street and you see them and you go, hey, that hair looks amazing. Where did you get it done? Going back to the collective, then my next question, which is in terms of the initial marketing at launch, how much of that is focused on the educational portion you talked about, you know, going to salons saying we have this new product? How much of it is based on the collective talking about it with friends, but also socializing it on their their platforms? What are you focusing on just to sort of make it so that you're hitting the ground running? I think our marketing is a big part linked to salons. So our salons are really the best salons around the country. We work with the marquee locations in every single zip code and that's where the awareness happens you know they've got customers coming in they've got stylists who are best in class and that's where the awareness comes for the most part to the end consumer because they're trying it there right they're getting exposed to it they're seeing it they're seeing the performance of it they're living with it for six to eight weeks in between visits so i think that's a huge part kale of our marketing um, it doesn't hurt that the collective also does the top celebrities and influencers in the world. And so as a result, the general population is seeing the end result of our color and, are, and we're tagging it and we're creating formulas around it and we're creating how-tos around those moments. So I think it really is kind of uh, working on both sides of the equation, right? There is a the primary awareness happens at the salon level, but there also is kind of this incredible umbrella of awareness and visibility that happens just by nature of being out there and visible in the world and not and being upfront about what the color is that's being used. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You mentioned how sustainability is a very big part of R and color. 
I know, I think it was a couple of years ago, I'm just looking at some some links before, you had another diffusion line, R and Co. Bleu. I just wanted to ask about the overall demand that you're seeing from stylists or even their end consumers about sustainability in hair care. Is that is there a growing call for that? Or is that just you're trying to lead the charge so that more people are aware? I think it's both. So a couple of years ago, we did launch a line called R and Co. Blue, which was our couture collection uh, of R and Co. That was really focused on um, sustainability, performance, and design. It really was an uncompromised line where you could have everything. You know, we liken it to uh, uh, electric Rolls Royce or an electric Bentley. <laughs> you can you can have design, you can have performance, and you can have uh, respect for the environment. So I think it's both. I think on one side, of course, it's becoming, I think, more prevalent in the consumer mindset. Um, and there is a huge awareness um, around it. But we, when we were doing it, um, that wasn't the primary reason. The primary reason was because we believed in it and we wanted to lead the charge. And we really pushed the envelope on Blue, uh, where it took packaging and products to a place that hadn't been done before. Again, if you look at Blue, all of the packaging is 100% post-consumer recycled plastics, uh, 100% uh, post-consumer recycled aluminum, 100% post-consumer recycled papers. Everything is uh, recyclable. We have a partnership with One Tree Planted. It really was kind of a, a huge passion project to see how far we could push sustainability in our line and then have that create awareness in the communities that we work with. Did that plan as you wanted it to? Like after launching that, is there, are you seeing more people call for that? Was that what led to some of the decisions you made with R and Color? I don't think it necessarily led to the decisions in R and Color because I think we would do it even if it wasn't a commercial success. I think it's something that's innate within our own personalities. We like to have our brands reflect kind of how we run our lives and the things that we respect and how we want to leave the world for our children. But, um, and I think a big part of it was actually also kickstarting the momentum within our industry. I'll give you an example. At the, at the time, buying recycled plastics was more expensive, right? Because, because there was not a supply for it, right? So if we can create a virtuous circle of using recycled plastics and then having the products be recyclable, then we're almost eliminating the need to create new uh, resources and pull new things from the ground. So again, by taking the lead on it, maybe we could actually create a marketplace for these recycled plastics that suddenly would make them available to more people, bring the cost down and make them more prevalent across the entire marketplace. There's very few times that we're actually proud to be copied you know, we don't love being we don't love being copied, but this is one of those times where we're actually proud and happy if we're copied because I think the global impact of that across not only our industry but the world is far greater than our own kind of micro perspective of the world. You said earlier that, you know, when you go into a new direction or you you know, you, you launch a new type of product like hair color, it's because of the collective you know, said there's a need for that. Can you just go into like, how often does this happen? Or, you know, do you have a product roadmap in terms of where you want to expand to? Or is it just more when there's a need, you'll begin looking into it? 
Again, great question, Kale. I, I have to think about how to answer this without divulging any trade secrets. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, but I, I, th- I, think it's a, I think it's a combination, really. You know, we, we work daily with these collective members, right? We're, we're doing education, we're on set, uh, we're doing shoots, and invariably we're kind of always on the forefront of what's trending or what's happening because we're doing a lot of editorial, which is happening six months before it becomes, you know, kind of um, the norm. So I think we have a great kind of perspective and insight into where the marketplace is going and what the needs are. Um, so I think it's it's really a combination of both of those. Can we do have a roadmap, right? We we plan out uh, years in advance on where we think the white space are, white space where we think the white spaces are, or where we think there may be a need for salons, right? So we're very much salon first. It really starts with the professional and what their needs are. But got it. Got it. The second part, but the second part of it is we do listen to our customers, whether they be the collective or whether they be the salons. And so we hear live the ideas that they have or what they think is missing. And that's the beautiful thing about actually distributing directly to these salons and partnering with them directly is that we have such a close connection and such a close relationship that the feedback doesn't stop, good or bad. And uh, and we're constantly getting calls, emails, DMs, um, and uh, just have a very open community about sharing ideas and uh, and what the needs are. This might be a stupid question just because I don't know, like I don't know the intricacies of hair care. So apologies, but I just want to know in terms of production. You have beautiful hair. For those of you who are listening <laughs> to this podcast, oh, Kale yeah. has a beautiful head of hair and has a super well-groomed beard. If I could describe him so the audience could uh, could picture what's going on right now, it would be mind-blowing. <laughs> well, thank you. You're making me blush. Um, so here's my, my dumb question because of my unkempt mane. Like, what did you have to invest in in terms of the production for hair color compared to your more hero products, you know, like shampoos, et cetera? Did you have to get new chemicals, get new facilities? Like, how, how much did you have to expand that, I guess, scientific and production prowess? Creating color was a huge endeavor. It's a, it's a, it's a completely different brand. Right, so we really have three brands under the Arnco umbrella. We have Arnco, we have Arnco Blue, and we have Arnco Color, and it uh, it's a completely different process, a completely different approach to education, completely different customer. Right, if you think about it, the customer is primarily salon owners and colorists. It's not really the end consumer ever ever buying it. They may request it, but uh, they're not necessarily uh, the ones who are uh, creating the the purchase or the purchase intent. Um, so it was a, a completely uh, different endeavor, and it was a large endeavor, and it was something that we really worked on to perfect over the over the five years. We partnered with a whole host of kind of experts and craftspeople around the world. Uh, we're creating our color in Italy, um, so really tapping into the the best formulators in the world around colors and shading, and. We invested a ton of time in terms of not only uh, time, but team and effort and process in order to bring it to life. And I'm super proud of what we brought out. It's very rare, I think, for a color brand of this magnitude to launch into the marketplace. It's a fully articulated color line of 
permanent semis, demis, uh, lightening systems, accessories, to really provide everything that the salon needs. So um, it was a it was a big endeavor, and we're super pleased with the results. And thankfully, the salons have been loving it as well. So it's uh, I think we've really created something special. That's great. I wanted to zoom out and just talk a little bit more about the overall salon business and what you're seeing if there is sort of an evolution. Like, do you find that over the last 10 years of being R&Co, has it been different to different ways to reach different salons? Or has it been generally the same in terms of who you're trying to talk to, who you're trying to, you know, have sell your products? Like, are is there more... I feel like with the, you know, social media influencers, different things like that, you probably have more touch points with their end consumer than you might have 10 years ago. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd love to hear just sort of what you're seeing with those dynamics. I think the salon channel is an incredible group of business owners. You know, these are all, for the most part, small business owners that have a passion for what they do, which is doing hair providing services to their community and building teams. And I think it's really one of the few industries that I don't necessarily think can be displaced by the internet or online. You still, for the most part, um, don't want your computer cutting or coloring your hair, right? You want to go to an expert. And the beautiful thing about stylists is that they really are the tastemaker and the fashion influencer in many people's lives. Right there, for for most of us, they're uh, you know the coolest people that we know. They know all the best restaurants, all the best music. They you know, they know fashion, and so they become kind of this anchor in our life, especially around our beauty and fashion regimen. So I think you'll always have people going into the salon every six to eight weeks to get their hair cut or their hair colored. Now, of course, social media has an influence on that. I don't think it's necessarily uh, outside of the salon that we're divorced from that. I think the reality is, is those stylists in those salons have their own incredible followers and fan bases, and they are the micro-influencers, if you will, within their own consumer's life, right? And so social media allows them to stay in c- contact with their customer every day instead of just every six to eight weeks commenting on their uh, on their customers hair liking it providing suggestion sharing their work and so i think it really is kind of an incredible way to actually extend the salon outside of the physical location into the lives of their customers 24/7 and uh, and what we've seen is actually a lot of stylists embracing social media listen their their creative culture that loves instagram tiktok uh, you know uh any type of visual medium, and uh, and use those mediums in order to speak to their customers. We actually created this incredible program called Arnco Love, which is our salon affiliate program that allows uh, you know these great opportunities for salons and stylists to monetize their social media and their online following by uh, uh, allowing these opportunities for them to sell the products that they're using and are highlighting through linking. Uh, where we're doing all of the fulfillment, but they're actually capturing the retail sale for it. So again, of course, the business evolves, but I think the foundation of this business is the salon and the stylist and that connectivity to their client who is sitting in their chair and 
that trusted partnership and relationship between stylist and client. Yes. I, I was reading about the affiliate program. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that launched in 2019, right? Yeah, we launched it right at the start of COVID. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a time when people are uh, at home and need to, to buy their, their products probably through social media. A, how has that evolved, if it has at all, or is it just generally the same as it was, what, th- three years ago? And B, it, it gives sort of a hint that you, you're you at least thinking about having a focus on selling more of your products to consumers, m- maybe not directly because these are coming through the affiliate programs of, of the, the people at the salon, but like, is that... Uh, are, are you thinking more about trying to reach the, the end users more so? And is that, has this helped aid that process? I think the program, of course, has evolved over the years. I think at, this, at the start of the program, it was really this incredible stopgap to supply and support the clients of salons in a time where they couldn't get to their stylists and salons. Right? COVID and the pandemic was a time where people were focused on wellness and self-care, and they were using masks, and they were taking care of themselves, and actually trying new things with their hair, especially in this Zoom world, where it really is kind of what people are focusing on, right? You're looking from the neck up, so hair became, especially the front of your hair, much more important in the general uh, consciousness. Um, it, uh, But it's, of course, evolved, and now I think it's actually become just entrenched as part of the retail opportunities that a salon has, to support their clients um, in between visits. The reality is, is a client is coming to a salon, spending a significant amount of their disposable income on a great haircut, a great color. It's also imperative to look great in between visits. You can't just go home and the next day not know how to recreate that look that your stylist made for you. So I think it really, it works together. Um, of course, the awareness is there, you know, the awareness as a result of being on social media or sharing a how-to or sharing a recommendation or sharing an award winner, boost the awareness of the product outside of of the salon. But again, because we're working so closely with those salons and the stylists, it really comes back to that particular business or that particular artist's um, on how they're servicing their customers. So it's a little bit of a different approach. It really is kind of helping you know, those uh, couple thousand partners across the United States expand their businesses beyond the four walls. Would you ever try to focus on channels other than salons or is salons always going to be our and co's bread and butter? I think salons are really our heritage and they're our partners and we and we, we love salons. I think the reality is, is the customer shopping behavior has changed over the last 20 or 30 years. Right, customers tend to shop where is convenient for them. They're not necessarily waiting for uh, the six to eight weeks, uh, you know, in order to um, visit a certain place to buy something. And so that's why I think it's so critical for us to provide opportunities for them to still support those local businesses in between those visits. Consumers want convenience. All of us do. And uh, when you're out of something, you're out of something. So how do you how do you provide them with that convenience, with that immediacy, while still supporting local businesses? And if you can unlock that, then I think you really have done something special in the world. Makes sense. Just about running out of time, but I wanted to sort of just take your temperature about a what your focus is on, I guess, for the rest of the year or even in the next, say, 12-ish months. And also 
just, you know, should we expect to see now that you have, you know, three three brands underneath the name of R&Co, should we expect to see more expansions down the line in a similar vein? You know, I'm not a fortune teller, so <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if there will be other brands in the future. I think for the time being, I think we want to focus on these three brands. I think we developed them intentionally so that we could support a salon with all of their needs from having a premium product and a prestige product and a professional color line. So that way we could work very closely with those salons and create deeper relationships and deeper partnerships. I think where we're going to be focusing on for the rest of the year and for the, for the future is really kind of uh, refining those brands, um, working much more closely with our salon partners and focusing on education, which is really our fourth brand, right? So we have something called Arnco EDU, which which is a fourth pillar of what we do. And working with salons on education, whether it be technical around color or styling or cutting or business with the salon owners and the managers, that really is, I think, where we're going to focus on for the next couple of years. And really working with our existing partners to you know help um, them with their businesses and provide whatever support we can. Uh, because we really, you know, again, we work with the best small business owners in the country and uh you know and their success is our success well dan this has been a great conversation i really appreciate you taking the time thank you so much for having me kel and thank you for listening to this episode of the modern retail podcast a show by digiday if you haven't already please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it see you next week